We're in Revelation chapter 2. We have been looking at the church of Thyatira. We started out at the beginning of chapter 2 with Ephesus, the church that had lost its first love. They were doing a lot of great things, but uh, there was no agape. When agape becomes sloppy, then you've got a problem. So we, then we looked at Smyrna, the church that remains faithful amidst persecution, the persecuted church, the martyr church, Smyrna, verses 8 through 11. Then Pergamum, the church that compromises its beliefs, Revelation 12 through 17. And then we've been working on Thyatira for a couple of weeks now. The tolerant church, the corrupt church, or as one uh, commentator put it, the church that follows false prophets. And you're probably thinking, well, I've seen characteristics of all these various churches and churches that are in existence today. And that's absolutely correct, as we've talked about. There was a historical context for these churches, the immediate context, then there was a historical context in terms of periods of church history over the last 2,000 years, and then there's a modern application as well. Let me read uh, verses 22 through 24. That's our text for today. Beginning in verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her, that's Jezebel, the, the um the prophetess, the self-proclaimed prophetess in the church at Thyatira that Jesus is bringing his indictment against. We don't know if she was really named Jezebel, but she certainly had the spirit of Jezebel, usurping authority, even as Jezebel did with her own husband, King Ahab, usurping authority and leading the people astray into false religion. In uh, the original Jezebel, it was Baal worship or Baal worship. In this case, it was uh, sexual immorality, as we've seen. Antinomianism, just do whatever you want, it's okay. But I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. And of course, the adultery here is spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness to God. Unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you'd help us to get through as much of the text today as we can. We ask you to bless this time of Bible study, Lord we just ask that you give us insight and understanding and application for this passage of Scripture regarding the church at Thyatira and the false prophetess who was leading the people astray. Lord, bless this time of Bible study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so he talks about casting her, Jezebel, into a sickbed or a bed of suffering, as it says in the NIV. Why would... Jesus do that because she had seduced many of the believers in the church of Thyatira to commit sexual sin. We saw this last week, and so God would place her on a bed of suffering. It reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, which we often read when we are taking communion together. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So how do we partake in, an, in a worthy manner? Well, a man will examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, 
You ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and show you if there's any unconfessed sin there that you need to bring before the Lord. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, unconfessed sin, lack of repentance, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Now, isn't that interesting? And many sleep, or they've died, in other words. So Paul is telling his readers there in Corinth that if you take a lighthearted, flippant attitude towards sin and towards the Lord's Supper, it could result in physical illness or even death. One of the reasons we, we do it once a month, we don't want it to become some kind of a ritual like it has become in many denominations where you just do it without even thinking about it. And in some cases, people think that's how they purchase their salvation by going through this ritual. It has to be meaningful. It has to be important. We need to understand it, not take it lightly. It's more important that we do it like that than how often we do it. But again, no ritual can save us. Communion can't save us. Baptism can't save us. They are things that we do because we are saved and we want to honor God and acknowledge Him. So the real point behind this passage is don't just flippantly come before the Lord, whether it's to celebrate communion or anything else. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, show you the real you, so that you can continue in right relationship with God, confessing your sins, repenting, and so forth. And then in 1 John 5, 16 through 17, John writes, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin that does not lead to death, so... If your brother gets drunk and goes out, crashes his car and gets killed, that's a sin that leads to death, isn't it? So you can't do him much good at that point. Or he ODs or whatever it may be, gets a sexually transmitted disease, HIV. If anyone sees his brother sending a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. So pray... If you see a brother or sister caught up in sin, pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit will show them their sin, that they might receive the gift of repentance. And then John says there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. But the point is, again, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, as you're going through life, if you're living a lifestyle of sin, if you're practicing sin, as it were, there is the potential that that could ultimately lead to an untimely death. We've seen it over and over again with Elvis and Michael Jackson and people from different walks of life, the business world, the entertainment world, people cut off in the prime of their lives because they refuse to turn from sin. Now, the Bible talks about reaping what you sow. And so... Jesus says he's going to cast this Jezebel into a sickbed or a bed of suffering. And, of course, the goal would be to bring that person to a place of repentance. It doesn't always work because man has free will. And it's amazing how much some people can endure rather than bow their knee to God. Tucker covered some of that in his video. People who are so filled 
with animosity and hatred towards God and God's people. It was interesting how that one professor actually identified it as Antichrist. Did you pick that up? So I'm not the only one saying this stuff. I don't have a PhD like that guy, though. So listen to him if you won't listen to me. So not only is he going to cast her into this sickbed, also, and those who commit adultery with her. And throughout the Bible, you probably know this, but adultery is synonymous with spiritual unfaithfulness on the part of God's people. That's what got Israel busted. Their idolatry, their spiritual adultery, their unfaithfulness to God. And eventually, as God told them that he would do, he vomited them out of the land. And by the way, if you study human history, I could make the case that virtually every people group on the planet, every culture, every society, every nation that has turned from God or never turned to God, who's practiced idolatry, my wife and I were just talking about this yesterday, there's never any justification for one ethnic group oppressing another ethnic group. Although, in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to drive out the Canaanites, remember? And to take the land because the Canaanites were a bunch of idolaters. And down through human history, every culture, every society, every nation that has practiced idolatry ultimately has been vomited out of their land. So there's another side to that coin. On the one side of the coin, you have a history of human beings dominating one another. But the other side of that coin, God allows it to happen because he will not tolerate idolatry. You shall have no other God before me, he says. And so our nation is on the precipice right now. We are on the precipice of being vomited out of our own nation because we've turned from God. You saw it in that video very clearly. And a bunch of wimpy, panty-waisted Christians are not going to get the job done, folks. It's time to stand up. And as it's been proved in other countries where Christians have come under severe persecution, whether you stand up or not, they're still going to come for you. So wouldn't you rather go down fighting? I would. I hope you'll be there with me. And I hope it won't come to that. I'm looking for the rapture of the church to come very soon. But we must be ready because the persecution is happening all over the world and what we're experiencing here is nothing compared to what believers are facing in places like China and North Korea and the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and so forth. We've not yet come to that point, for the most part, where Christians are being murdered in America, at least not openly, blatantly, obviously. We don't know what's going to happen before the return of the Lord. We do because of the book of Revelation, but how much of that will happen before we're raptured, we don't know. Okay, so there is a caveat here. Unless they repent of their deeds or her ways. So there is an option here. For those following this false prophetess Jezebel, they have the opportunity, if they choose to do so, to repent. But by following her teaching and her example, her ways had become their ways. 
we do tend to become like who we hang out with. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? We will become like those whom we hang out with. And if you're following or hanging out with false teachers, deceivers, then ultimately you will be deceived. It's just that simple. So Jesus is saying they must repent of turning from the truth and embracing her false teaching and from the sinful practices associated with it. And even though we may be misled, we didn't start out intending to be deceived or misled, we're ultimately accountable to God for our own choices. And that's why not only is Jezebel being held accountable, her followers are being held accountable as well. So if you choose to follow one of the multitude of false teachers out there today, when you stand before God, you won't be able to blame them. You will have to be accountable for your own choices. Verse 23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So now, just as Ahab's 70 sons were slain, as a result of his sin with Jezebel. The result of ongoing, unconfessed sin is sometimes physical death, as we just saw 1 Corinthians 11, 1 John 5. So the result of replacing relationship, that's the argument that we as believers always need to be making when people say, well, I don't believe in religion, I'm not religious, blah, blah, blah. I say, well, neither am I. I'm into relationship. I have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I forget who it was, but I don't know if it was a Christian singer, preacher, but somebody back in the day, I remember they said, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord. And so, but replacing relationship with religion or rituals, replacing relationship with religion and the truth of God's word with man-made doctrines is spiritual death to the generations that follow. I will kill her children, the spiritual offspring of Jezebel, with death. And obviously every human being is going to die eventually, so it's not talking about physical death necessarily. That could be part of the package as we've seen. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin can lead to an untimely death, but even more importantly, spiritual death. I will kill her children with death, being robbed of the opportunity for the gift of eternal life. But notice, it results in spiritual death to the generations that follow. And that's again what we're seeing right now as it was covered in the video we watched today, what's happening in our educational system. I've been talking about this for years. I've ticked off so many people slamming the public education system, and I have been proved 100% right. And I challenge anyone to disagree with me on that. The public education system has destroyed our society, our culture, and our children. And by the grace of God, Calvary Christian Academy is still in operation. Ken Ham, the Creation Museum guy, the Noah's Ark guy, Ken Ham, the Australian 
creationist guy who's written a lot of great books and stuff, he wrote two books, Already Gone and Already Compromised, about what happens to Christian young people growing up in secular education and all those who have left their faith by the time they graduate from high school and then the remaining ones who depart during their college years, already gone and already compromised. Two great books, again, supporting the point I'm making here this morning. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. The King James Version says reigns and hearts. I like that. God searches our hearts to see if he's got the reins. Who's in control? Who's running the show? Are you under God's yoke? Are you allowing him to steer and direct your life? I am the one who searches the reins and hearts. Second Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is fully committed. Loyal, or one translation reads, fully committed to him. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of who? Those whose heart is loyal are fully committed to him. There are those who find themselves in a situation where they feel like, maybe God doesn't really have my back. He doesn't seem to be helping me. I, I feel weak. I don't feel strong in my faith and so forth. Okay, so the question is, are you fully committed to him? Because he is looking to strengthen those. He's searching the entire earth looking for those whose hearts are loyal or fully committed to him. I forget who it was, but I heard someone say once, a preacher, teacher, if you want God's best, give him your best. Does that make sense? I think it does. Psalms 139, 1 and 2, O Lord, David, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. And then down to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Jesus says, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Now you could choose to close him off and close him out. and Don't come in here, Lord. I don't want you poking around in there. But if you do that, it's not going to go well. I am he who searches the minds and hearts to give to every man according to his deeds. Now again, we are not saved by good works, but the good works are evidence that we are truly saved. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the rewards that are going to be given out to faithful believers. Some getting more, some getting less, some perhaps getting none. And just as Paul talks about kind of getting in by the Skin of your teeth, so to speak, with the flames licking at the backside of your robe. To give to every man according to his deeds. God is loving, God is patient, God is merciful. We all know that, right? Thank God for that. I find myself calling on God for those things every day. Lord, be merciful upon me, a sinner. But for those who are unwilling to repent, there will definitely be a day of reckoning. Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now, there are a lot of people 
that think they're okay because they haven't been judged in this life. They feel like they've gotten away with a lot. In some cases, they've gotten away with murder, if you will. But it's what happens when we see Jesus face to face that counts. It really makes me sad to think that there are a lot of people who think, well, I'm okay. I'll be fine. You know, if there is a God, if he was going to get me, he would have got me by now. I'm no, 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 it's when you stand before him, that's where the rubber meets the road, as they say. And so it's what we do in this life, it's the decisions, the choices we make in this life that are going to determine what happens when we stand before him. If you wait till you stand before him to do anything, that'll be too late. So we have two categories here, if you will. We have the unrepentant, like Jezebel and her followers, Matthew 25, 41, he will say to those on the left hand, this is the parable of the sheep and the goats. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's an important point. God never created hell for mankind. Did you know that? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, by rejecting him, by refusing him, by ignoring him, then we will wind up in that place where God created for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's not really very politically correct or popular to talk about these days. It's okay to talk about the good part, the part where we get to go to heaven, right? Where we should all want to go, where we all can go if we simply humble ourselves before God, repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but don't dare talk about the other place, right? That's not nice. Well, Jesus talked about it. I think we need to talk about what Jesus talks about, don't you? So he says, that's the one on my left. Isn't that interesting? The left. <laughs> left behind. The left. Interesting. The ones on the right <laughs> get to enter in. So we have the unrepentant. Depart from me into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then we have the repentant. And this is what I want to hear. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I'm looking for. How about you? And it has nothing to do with my worthiness, your worthiness. We'll never be good enough. Starry Stuart Smalley. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you. No, that's not the case. It's all about his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And then we will get to hear those wonderful words as we imperfectly walk with him through this life. But we have a choice. And that's probably one of the biggest deceptions the enemy thrusts upon the human race. We don't have a choice. We're victims. We're all victims. We're just being propelled along by fate. Wherever the wind blows, that's not true. We have a choice. The devil doesn't want you to know you have a choice. But you do have a choice. We can either hear these wonderful words, well done, or we can wind up well done. You see? Some of you got it. 
extra crispy. Verse 24, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. So after rebuking those who had allowed themselves to be seduced by Jezebel and her deceptive teaching, Jesus now begins to speak to the faithful remnant. And basically we're out of time, so we'll pick it up there next week. Let's stand. Let's all bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes. I would like to pray for anyone here today that needs prayer. If you have a prayer request this morning, please raise your hand. Quite a few of you. God knows exactly what's on your hearts, what's on your mind. Father, I lift each one of these up to you. Lord, we know that no matter what the issue is, you have the answer. Peter said, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And so, Father God, I lift up each one of these that's raised their hand now. Maybe there's some others that didn't raise their hand, but they also have something weighing heavily upon their hearts this morning. God, you know each heart. You know what's on each heart, each mind. Father, there are some perhaps with health issues, physical issues. We thank you that you are the God who heals us, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You do heal us. You are the God who heals. Father, please touch each one. Hear the cries of their hearts. Lord, whatever your plan is for them, whether it be to work through medical means or through a supernatural healing, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon them even now. Lord, others have financial issues, perhaps employment issues. We ask you to help them as well. Lord, we're living in a difficult time, but again, we know that you are our provider. We thank you. You promised to meet our needs. And Lord, if there are those in need, help us to be aware that we might reach out to them as the body of Christ and help them. But Lord, we know ultimately you are our provider. We ask you to take care of them, provide for them. Lord, others have emotional, mental issues. We saw how David asked the Holy Spirit to search his heart and to know his anxieties. Lord, there's a lot of anxiety floating around out there today. If anyone here today is dealing with that, struggling with that, we ask you to comfort them, strengthen them, encourage them. Give them peace. You promised, Lord, that you would give us peace, not as the world gives. You would give us a holy, heavenly, supernatural peace. Lord, whatever else it might be that's going on, in the lives of these today who raise their hands, we ask you to bless them, help them, touch them, and draw them close to you, Lord. And we pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you, that you would bring them into relationship, not religion, but bring them into right relationship with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Make yourself known to them, impart to them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance, that they might be born again, become a part of your eternal forever family. And Lord, we thank you for this time together today. We ask for your wisdom and guidance in these difficult times. Help us to stand firm in our faith. Give us strength, Lord. We are honored and privileged that you've called upon us to become end times believers. Help us to take up the challenge. Give us safe travel as we go home or out to eat or wherever we may be going today. In Jesus' name, amen.